The following is a Klaus to the Heart presentation as a part of the Jackal Creations Podcast Network and has been rated M for, for mature audiences only. Some material and dialogue may not be suitable for members of the family under 18 years of age. Two longtime friends with a seemingly ignorant amount of free time. And uh, we are recording. I'm just going to hit the record button now. Have decided to start their own podcast. I mean, I don't know if that's a good idea. Yeah, it can only get better, right? Unique. <laughs> <coughs> this is their show. No format, no filter. My cup of tea, Mr. Burgett. You know what I mean? Well, I'm going to call bullshit right out of the gate. Because... Jackal Creation Podcast presents Jason Klaus and Jim Burgett. This is Tea Time. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Tea Time. Here is a part of the Jackal Creations Podcast Network powered by Anchor.fm. I'm Jason Klaus, and joining me is absolutely nobody. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is going to be another one of those episodes where I'm kind of flying solo this week. And uh, full disclosure, it's 95% my fault. Uh, we had plans to record on Wednesday evening, and uh, uh, that was also the day of my of my son's baseball game, and it ran late, and I didn't get home in time to record the episode. So I was like, well... Maybe we can record on Thursday and just have a late drop. Just do like a live to tape thing, record it, upload it, drop it, and, and be done with it. But Jim wasn't able to. He had other obligations and things that required his attention. So he wasn't able to, you know, carve out and you know any time. So this was plan C, and this is going to be a real late drop. But I wanted to get at least something on the show feed you know just because I know that there are people that look forward to the show but I also realize that with this show it attracts a different audience than the rest of the podcast under the Jackal uh, uh, network so um, and I realize that but um, you know again I feel like it's important that we do get some sort of new content out there so you know, trying to rack my brain as, as to what I could I could talk about real quick here, just so that there is something new. Um, I don't know how long this this particular episode is going to be, but uh, we're aiming for at least a half an hour, <laughs> so we'll see what what happens. But uh, I I was trying to think of so something that would be entertaining that would uh, still kind of coincide with the theme that we have here on tea time and especially having you know something to do with with Jim himself so I thought you know I don't think I've ever really told the story on a public platform like this of the night ex-convict became the Michigan wrestling organization champion and it is one of those moments in the history of this company that I take a great deal of, of pride in. I believe in previous episodes, if not on this one, maybe I covered it um, over on the Klaus to the Heart podcast when I tackled like a chapter in the history of the MWO or, or something like that. But just to kind of recap how Jim and I met... Um, it was strictly under the wrestling company banner. Um, one of our roster members at the time, Kurt Chaos, Kurt Collins, uh, just just a tremendous guy. Um, so somebody that uh, I have always had a lot of respect for. Always appreciated um, his loyalty and dedication to the company during his time here 
Uh, Kurt's one of those guys, you know, quote unquote, one of those indie workers that, uh, you know, he, he understood what we were trying to do in the MWO where a lot of them did not, you know, they would come in and they would realize I don't run things like most other promoters. Then, you know, their time here was a cup of coffee and they would return to wherever it was that they came from. And by and large, uh, whenever, you know, anything of the NWL was brought up, you know, they, they were, they were quick to just condemn it, you know, Kurt was not one of those guys. Kurt was one of our biggest advocates, our biggest, you know, supporters. He, you know, he really, um, really did a lot to help, you know, spread a positive light on, on us in terms of what we were doing in contrast to what the majority of the other promotions were doing. So in the summer of 2008, Kurt comes to me and he says, hey, I've, I've got a group of guys that I would like to bring in so that they can knock off some ring rust because they're interested in resuming their, their careers in the ring. And, you know, at the time, you know, we had a pretty deep roster at the time, uh, mixed with a potpourri of, of veterans and rookies and everything in between. Some real potential there, real talent in 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 that day and on that roster. And, um, you know, so we had a lot of different guys working with the organization that could match up well with, with the three guys that Kurt wanted to bring in. Um, and it... it it was the group that would become known as Revolution X. So you had Tommy Klein, you had Black Jack Haynes, and Ex-Convict, which was Jim. And, and um, the executioner, Eric Hopeland. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of expectations. I, I didn't have a lot of long-term plans with these guys I figure I would just put them in there you know in a couple of spots you know pair a couple of them up as a tag team and you know let them get their ring rust out or whatever get get their timing down so that they can go off and do whatever they want to do to my surprise I I was you know they all of them decided to stay and not only did they decide to stay because you know when you have a group like that come in and brand new guys that had that had made their names in other other promotions you know you're kind of a lot of the veterans you know they were kind of leery about you know what's what's the real intention here and uh i i didn't get that with with any of these guys they were all very 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 professional very cordial they came in they went right to work what can we do to help which was something that by and large I was not used to and uh it they had a couple of matches and we're like man what if we staged some sort of revamped invasion angle because we had tried to do storylines like that before where you know the the main story was the companies trying to thwart off the challenge from a rival group or promotion or something like that but it had always you know by and large been from within we would take members of our roster, put them in a faction, put them in a group, whatever the case may be. Um, you know, a couple of them that stand out, really, um, there's like three of them that really stand out in terms of really taking over the company or attempting to take over the company. Uh, Cash Money Wrestling, which was um, a group that was headed up by Bob Breckenridge. And, and I, I maintain to this day... Um, Bob Breckenridge is one of those guys that made such an indelible mark on the history of our company. Like the company wouldn't be um, where it's at right now with had there not been that that time and that ten years spent here by Bob Breckenridge. So let me just throw that out there. 
Um, and his character was, I mean, off the charts, off the charts, just one of the greatest all around characters we've ever had here. And that's why it, it, it worked for a while. Uh, from there, you know, obviously the power trip thing, the power trip was as organic as, as it could be. There were no long-term plans. There were not any set plans. This is just a, what if we did this? My God, it just caught on fire. And, you know, everything's about timing, right? And, and at that time, Terry's Lounge in Flint was our home venue. And that was that whole six year run we had there would probably be the equivalent of our attitude era. It was just so off the charts. And we, we were still at Terry's when um, Re Revolution X came into the company. So they were really you know, coming in at a opportune time here. So, you know, it, it became known that they wanted to stay. They wanted to be a part of the show. And we had never orchestrated um, a full-blown invasion involving people that our fans did not know who they were. So they we could really tell that story of these are true invaders from another promotion or another area because they had, in fact, spent a lot of time in a variety of different promotions primarily, and they would become kind of like the flag bearers of a resurrected version of XBW, Extreme Border Wrestling. Uh, I believe they were based out of the Port Huron area. And uh, it, it really... It really set a tone for the next, you know, year or so because the way everything was was positioned, um, it just fit so perfectly. They they very much became involved in the title pictures and they were mixing it up with some of our biggest stars, some of our biggest names at the time. You know, this was uncharted territory for, for us in terms of booking. You know, the only time that we attempted something like this was back, I mean, you'd have to go way back to 1998. I um, I knew of a guy that was running another upstart promotion in Ohio, and he called it the Ohio Wrestling Organization. And um, we had gotten in contact with, with one another, and we orchestrated this plan to where they would come up and they would be the the centerpiece for WrestleRama 4. Now, apparently there was a misunderstanding of some sort because they thought that they were coming up here and going to, you know, totally take over the company, like absolve the company, like legit. And I'm like, I, I'm just talking storyline here. You know, what in the fuck are you guys talking about? Where are you coming from? You you think you're just going to come up here and and legit take over my company? That's not that's not at all what this was supposed to be. Um, so it turned into pr pretty much a shit show right right there. And I, I that was my first time dealing with something like that. And I was like, nah, I, I think I'm pretty good with with all of that nonsense you know so with cash money wrestling and the power trip um you know the ones that really kind of set the the you know raised the bar i guess would be the awesome alliance the awesome alliance was another one of them factions that it just grew organically by fan support, by the quality of matches the guys were putting in, who we put in to that group, and it was believable, and it was a legit civil war between two factions, the Awesome Alliance and the Michigan Wrestling Organization. And, um, you know, it was a very 
very interesting time because by by the time Revolution X came in and really started picking up steam like right out of the gate, you know, it was a no-brainer that, you know, they would be involved in the heavyweight championship pitcher, uh, which they were. Um, they, you know, we put uh, Jim with... Um, the executioner as he called himself and you know they were they had a, they just were a fantastic tag team just a fantastic tag team and uh, you know they they had known each other for quite a while you know inside the ring and out so there was a chemistry there there was a camaraderie between them and it really shined through so i mean it was it was a given that they were going to um, become a fixture of, of the tag team division. And they would eventually win the titles and they would go into WrestleRama 15, which is, you know, a milestone event, uh, especially in terms of the legacy of WrestleRama. They went into that show as the defending tag team champions. And uh, they had a, a good match, a great outing, with uh, the real deal, Michael Reaver and and my brother. Now, uh, you know it was as the months went by and stuff like that. You know, personal obligations and responsibilities. Um, so in some cases, just you know the wear and tear of being in the ring and. You know, it started to take the it, its toll on members of Revolution X, and it got to the point to where, um, one by one, they would eventually just kind of leave the organization. Um, to the point to where it came down to where it was just Jim and Kevin, you know, the the uh, executioner there, and um, and then eventually it was just Jim. And, you know, there was some some concern in the inner circle of, of the organization whether, you know, Jim was going to relate to, the, to our audience as a, a single star. Now, during the midst of all, of, you know, of the tag team thing and then the wake of Revolution X and all that, we had we had actually split apart, um, ex convict and the executioner and had them feud and they had you know a standout match at Christmas Clash of two thousand nine, and it really hammered home the fact that yes this guy has has something he has a unique look, he is he is passionate about what he does in the ring. And yes, the fans are registering. They are they are invested in this guy. He gets a reaction out of them. Now, during this time, the MWO, like the main event pitcher, the heavyweight title pitcher, you had guys that had been fixtures of that title and of that of those spots for a long time so they were very well established um they were really you know and we had new guys coming up too you know what i mean like we like jack price is one that uh was really starting really i mean just the the rocket was was strapped to him and now you can see what what he's doing here and now really making a name for himself on the independent circuit and uh you know you had other guys you had my brother in there you had reaver in there you had um you know we utilized skulls from time to time um Christian Clayton was part of that in in that era, very prominently featured. Um, but the one guy that it was really centered around was Apocalypse. And, you know, the Apocalypse story could be 
its own episode on some platform because he had been here for a long time, came in green as goose shit, man, but he became just one one of the pillars of this company and a star a star in every other promotion that he's ever worked for. Um, you know, I could go on a three hour sidebar about that guy, but at this time he was, he was the Michigan wrestling organization champion. He was dominating everybody that came in his path during these big events and (laughs) outside the ring, he was part of the board of officials and so what that means, you know, he he was on the very inner circle of the inner workings of the promotion, booking and things of this nature. Now, as we were getting ready for, you know, to come into what would be our, our WrestleRama season, um, we were looking to kind of shake things up, like elevate the next main event guy. Who's going to be the next main event guy? And, you know, when you looked up and down the roster at that time, it, uh, very, very difficult to pick out one because there's a, there's a lot of guys you could have made cases for work ethic behind the scenes, what their ability is in the ring attitude, um, everything, you know, a champion in the ring as much as outside the ring, just based on how he presents himself. Now, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to take a real quick time out here, uh, run an ad, and then we will go into the second half of this story, and that being the decision and leading up to ex-convict becoming the Michigan Wrestling Organization champion. So stick around. More of Tea Time is right after this. The thrills and chills return to the airwaves of Orion Neighborhood Television as the Michigan Wrestling Organization presents the 2021 Trick or Slam Supercard. It happens on Saturday, October the 9th, beginning at 6.05 p.m., You will see all the top superstars of the Michigan Wrestling Organization, including four championship matches that we'll see in the main event in a 30-minute Ironman match. Jack Terran will defend the MWO Championship against Roberto Cruz. Plus, ex-convict and platinum will defend the tag team championship against skulls and the creature featured john campbell and so much more make your plans to be a part of michigan wrestling organization history on saturday october 9th at 6:05 p.m exclusively on the orion on tv facebook page Well, everybody, the news is out and the anticipation is now on board here because we are getting ready to go back on stage. I'm Jason Klaus, and I invite you to join me for a night of Klaus to the Heart Live. It goes down on Friday night, November the 12th, beginning at 7 p.m. from the historic Picks Theater in downtown Lapeer, Michigan. Join me as we talk about the certain things that we can do to keep ourselves motivated when things aren't necessarily going our way. And I will be joined by a very good friend of mine, Todd Gilbert, who will be providing a opening musical act. So join us on November the 12th, beginning at 7 p.m. The tickets will be available at the door for $10 a piece. And this is a PG-14 rated show. Join us as I come home to Lapeer for my first entertainment endeavor in the city of Lapeer in over 20 years. I hope you will join us. It's Klaus to the Heart Live from Lapeer, Michigan on November the 12th. 
Welcome back to the show. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in this week. This is uh, a special edition here of Tea Time, uh, part of the Jackal Creations Podcast Network, powered by Anchor.fm. On this episode, because I'm flying solo, I decided to to take us back in time a little bit to the spring of 2013 when ex-convict would become the Michigan Wrestling Organization champion. Uh, in the first segment, I kind of laid everything out as to, in terms of, you know, Jim's beginnings here in the Michigan Wrestling Organization and the transition from being looked upon by not everybody, but quite a few as a tag team specialist and the question as to whether he could make a transition into not just a a successful single star, but a main event player. Uh, Before we went to break, uh, we were coming up to probably late 2012 and uh, going into the beginning of 2013, we really wanted to make a concentrated effort on elevating a new player into the main event pitcher. And as I had mentioned, Apocalypse was the MWO champion, um, the centerpiece of the Awesome Alliance faction, which had actually gained um, a, a measure of, of control uh, of the organization you know, in the storyline, it became the awesome wrestling organization and um, the colors turned from what was red, blue and black to green and black, their trademark colors like it was it was very literally a takeover. And uh, that's kind of what was engulfed in you know as a storyline is that my god we need somebody to step up to the plate and help save the Michigan wrestling organization before you know it it, it permanently becomes known as the awesome wrestling organization so i think it was in late <coughs> excuse me very late 2012 that the board of officials had a meeting and and back then um we were living in Davison and we had a very cool basement in in that house and that's where we would have the majority of our board meetings to discuss business plans or storyline ideas, what kind of venues we, we wanted to go after. Um, but it was around this time where we, you know, we, we looked at the landscape of the company, who was positioned where, who was, you know, f- figured in, who did we have hopes for but wasn't quite there yet and just needed something of a spark, things of this nature. Now, um, we started talking about who are we going to put in into the main event of WrestleRama nineteen, and that also ties into who's going to win the Bunkhouse Brawl, which is our version of the Royal Rumble, which mirroring. What WWE does, you know, the winner of the bunkhouse brawl earns a shot at the heavyweight championship in the main event of the biggest show of the year. For us, it's WrestleRama. Who are we going to put in that spot? And I think we had three shows between the time we had sat down to discuss this to the bunkhouse brawl and then how were we going to make that transition into into WrestleRama itself. Now, it was a given that Apocalypse would be um, the champion going into into WrestleRama because he was just he was just so dominant and he was so over and um, 
you know, it was very, very much like what you saw with the New World Order. Like you, the New World Order had its loyal fan base and they were very vocal, but there was still that that company side fan base that wanted somebody to step up and kick the shit out, out of this rival organization or faction and gain, you know, regain the control of the company, right? So that's kind of where we were. And, I mean, by design, that's what we were, in a nutshell, looking for, but we just didn't expect it to become as hot of a feud, as a rivalry as it had become. So we're looking at the roster, and we're like, who, who are we going to to elevate here? Who needs that Who's ready? You know what I mean? Who Who is on the cusp of being a breakout star? They just need the right opportunity. And I think we had everybody write down like two or three names. And then we, you know, just kind of, you know, I would look at them and be like, okay, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Maybe not quite yet. I can see this one. You know what I mean? And then we start breaking them down. When we looked at what kind of what kind of representative that we wanted for the promotion both in the ring and behind the scenes you know it really did it did come down to Jim because he had been there for so long never bitched never pissed never moaned about anything that he was asked to you know as far as a storyline or anything like that he you know team player came in worked hard um, you know, just, just the epitome of what you want in an ideal roster member is, is, uh, is Jim Burgett because he just is that fantastic. He just really is. And, uh, so I, it didn't take terribly long and that's what we decided that we were going to do. We were going to, um, give ex-convict the bunkhouse brawl and the title shot at at WrestleRama. And uh, because we felt like, you know, he was that guy that was on the cusp. He just didn't, he he didn't know if he was ready. Like, we saw it, but he didn't see it. And, and because there was that little hint of lack of self-confidence is what, what kept him from really exploding. And, and we thought, man, if, if we gave him, if we strapped the rocket ship to him, we're sure that he will rise to the occasion. And he most certainly did. There was no question about that. So we, we sat down, and I think it was uh, Mark, or, you know, our apocalypse, Cody Leedy, my brother and myself called Jim in for a meeting and we said, this is what we're going to do. We are going to have you come into the bunkhouse brawl at number whatever it was. And we're going to have you win the thing. And we're going to give you the title shot against Apocalypse for the MWO championship at WrestleRama. And I left it at that. Obviously, he was very much he was very excited about it, and I was too. But the reason why I was is different than the reason why everybody else on the board was, and it was different than why Jim was excited. Jim was excited because he was getting a main event at WrestleRama against the dominating champion that had had a stranglehold on the on the title for a long time. Now, when Jim leaves and we're kind of sitting there talking, I believe it was Apocalypse, but it may have been Jeff. Somebody said... What if we have Jim win the title? And I sat there for a second. And I'm 
picturing, and I mean, I remember this vividly, I'm picturing what the posters would look like with ex-convict as the MWO champion, what he would look like wearing that championship belt. Could he be the guy that rises up to the occasion and topples the giant, the mainstay, the champion? Could ex-convict be that guy? And I sat there, and everybody just kind of started nodding. You know what I mean? Like, it was something that Mark and I had had briefly talked about, just he and I. But it wasn't anything that I think either one of us were ready to pull the trigger on, or to at least discuss, because we didn't really have a plan in place we were just kind of you know what if and then man I want to say it was Jeff that was the was the one that said what if we put the title on Jim and with everybody's nodding like I kind of figured that everybody would be on board with it and I sat there And I said, what if we put the title on him, but we don't tell him he's going to win? And I looked over at Apocalypse, and he had a big smile on his face. So I, right there, I knew he was on board. And it was like, how, how are we going to do this? Now, sidebar, this is something that I've done a few times over during the years of the MWO. If I see a guy that has worked his ass off, that has been the epitome of an ideal roster member, rather, I mean, just has really earned that opportunity. I will put I will have them win a championship without them knowing it's happening. And it is one of the most fun things for me to watch unfold because you get real emotion. You see that moment that momentary look of panic on their face like they have fucked up, like they fucked up the the finish of the match, like they're going to be in trouble. And then they realize what's happening, and then you just see raw emotion, generally of happiness, very emotional moment. I love that stuff, because that is a very, very, very real part of professional wrestling. If you can provide that moment for that individual you know, I mean, it means something to them, right? I have done that several times over the course of of my career with the MWO, and it is fun to watch, man. Um, probably one that sticks out, side, and this is a sidebar to the sidebar, would be <laughs> Bam Grizzly won the television title at WrestleRama, in uh, 2017 at the Union Hall in Flint. That was a fun one because he legit thought he was in trouble. (laughs) Getting back on on track here, um, and fast-forwarding a little bit, we realized that this is what we were going to do. We were going to have XCON win the MWO title from Apocalypse, but we weren't going to tell him. Um, Apocalypse would um, come up with a finish to the match that would see the opportunity to have ex-convicts score the win without him thinking something was up. So knowing that this was going to happen, I reached out to Jim's wife at the time. And told her what our plans were. And that 
he was not going to know about it. Because I wanted her to rally, you know, family, friends, whoever, you know, from Jim's personal life that we didn't know, to have them be in the building to experience that moment. Because that's a culmination of years and years of hard work and dedication. And... Like, in the weeks leading up to Rama, he was getting more and more nervous. Like, he would call me every day. Are you sure we're doing the right thing here? Does, you know what I mean? This He was so nervous about it. And I'm like, you know, I tried everything. I'm like, dude, just calm down. Everything's going to be great. You're working with Mark. Everything's going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. You know, just look at it as a regular match. You're working with your buddy. It, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Knowing in the back of my mind that no matter what I said, it was not going to make a damn bit of difference because he was shitting bricks, you know. And um, we had WrestleRama 19 at the NTC Church in Burton, which has always been one of my very favorite venues that we ever performed in and it was it was a natural you know it was available and uh we always drew well there and the fact that it was wrestlerama and we had an incredibly strong undercard too i mean every single match was it was a banger um you know for mwl fans like it you know it was it was awesome there was a lot of great storytelling on that show. And it would culminate with this main event. You know. And you could tell by some of our fan. You know. By gauging the fan base in the weeks leading up. Like there were a lot of long time fans. That were very excited about a new face. A new name. In the main event picture. Ex-convict winning the bunkhouse brawl was the last thing anybody expected. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw that coming. And I think in the in the first show or two after the bunkhouse brawl, like they were waiting for for something to happen to where that title opportunity would be taken from them in some way, shape, or form. But it did not. We went. We went through with this. It was going to be apocalypse, representing the awesome alliance, and the defending heavyweight champion, going against ex-convict, the ultimate underdog, as it were, because again he was still rel- rel- relatively still new in his solo run here. You know he was still. You know he was just just now breaking that mold of tag team specialists that people were taking him very seriously as a single star. Even though he had runs with the Great Lakes title and, and things like that, it like they weren't... This was the main event of Rama, And this was for the MWO Championship. And it was against Apocalypse. So, I mean, you had the perfect storm for the perfect upset. And they had laid out the finish of this match. And it would see ex-convict hitting Apocalypse with his finishing move um, off the second rope. And um, Apocalypse would kick out. And then they would go into a sequence to where um, Apoc would hit his finish you know, for the for the win. That was going to be the end of it. Um, Angelique, Amanda Root, was uh, ex-con's manager at that time. And I'm pretty sure we let her in on what was happening too. I'm almost positive I told her that that's what we were going to do. She may have been one of the first ones I told. And... Uh, so, I mean, she was excited about it, but, you know, she I'm sure that she can attest just how damn nervous Jim was backstage, uh, just pacing back and forth. And um, 
you know, he's he's just worried that he's not going to screw up a spot or this, that, the other thing. But you know, I wasn't worried, man, because once he gets in there and that bell rings and he's in there with a comfortable opponent, he's untouchable. The story he tells is, you know, he's a great storyteller. And once he once he gets out of his own mind and just becomes focused on the task at hand, um, man, he's he's ready he's ready to rock and roll. And those two, they beat the shit out of each other, chops and clotheslines and you know, my God, it was it was it was every bit of the match I thought it would be and more. And. We were watching on a monitor in the back at the gorilla position. And <laughs> they started going into the ending of the match, the ending sequence. And, you know, and we, they knew what they were doing. They knew what was laid out. They knew what, you know, where, where everything had to fall in line here. And, you know, ex-convict has got apocalypse, you know, dazed and staggered. He boots him into the gut or something like that. He bends him over. He gets up on the second rope and he goes for the famouser. Now, this is the spot where he's supposed to hit. And apocalypse kicks out at two. I mean, just as the hand is coming down for three, he gets a shoulder up. Then they would go into Apox finish. But... Me knowing what what was coming, um, I watched him hit that famouser, and it was awesome. It, I mean, damn near picture perfect. And he uh, rolled Apoc over for the pin, and he hooked the leg. And uh, I believe Apoc w- whispered something to him, like as as the three counts happening whispered something to him to the effect of you've earned it or something like that you would have to ask him exactly what he said but the three count happens <laughs> you can see that holy shit moment on Jim's face like oh my god I something's something's wrong something's fucked up and then he remembers what what Mark said to him and he just had that moment man in the ring, and um, Angelique went running in there, and you know they really celebrated. They really had that that awesome Russell Rama moment, and Jim went on to become a tremendous champion, and you know because it really meant something to him. It meant something to him personally, and one of my favorite pictures I have is a picture of him sitting down in the locker room after that match with the championship laying across his lap and he's got his head in in his hands just looking at the title and I don't I don't know if Amanda is the one who took that picture but it is one of my favorite pictures from the Michigan wrestling organization it just speaks a thousand words, man. And it's a pretty powerful damn statement. And it was fun to watch that unfold. It was fun to see somebody feel like they're being recognized for their hard work. It was fun to see the general, the, the, the genuine raw reaction from the fan base many of which had, in their minds, there was no doubt Apocalypse was going to win this match. So the fact that he didn't, um, and to see the fans' reaction, that that genuine holy shit moment, that was fun. To see the look of pride that Apocalypse had doing the honors for his friend on this stage is one of those moments that will always stick with me when I think about Russell Rama 19.
And then there's that 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 image of him holding up that title. And just the look on his face. I will never for, forget that. That's, you know, as far as, and I, I had a great outing, my, myself personally, at, at WrestleRama. Um, it was, it was uh, Levi Blue and myself um, regaining the tag team championship. Um, we actually avenged our loss from WrestleRama 11, you know, eight years prior against PF and Azrael. And, um, you know, but the feelings that I had watching the main event and everything after the fact really is my highlight moment because it was more from a promoter standpoint. Like, I was just so proud of them. I was proud of them both. I was proud of them all, including the referee and including Angelique and, you know, everybody had a hand in that, man. And it was one of the greatest moments in WrestleRama history for me. So, as, uh, you know, I kind of had to run solo here this week, um, I felt like this was a good time to kind of tell tell that story, some of the backstory that led to you know, like I just said, one of my one of my proudest moments at a WrestleRama, and it was the night that ex convict became the Michigan Wrestling Organization champion. So, um, we certainly appreciate everybody's feedback. You can send us uh, show ideas, questions, comments, that type of thing over to our Facebook page. Just look for Tea Time, or our official website for everything under our network umbrella, which is net. So um, hopefully we can get back uh, with Jim next week, and um, this will drop at our regular time, hopefully, assuming we can get all of our ducks in a row here. Uh, but we certainly appreciate your, your patience. We appreciate your support, and we will see you next Thursday with a brand-new episode of Tea Time. Um, unique New York, unique New York. <laughs> hey everybody, if you are looking to, to clean up the yard and get it ready for the fall time, I have your solution. I want to tell you about my friends over at A&B Scrap Recycling and Lawn Care. If you have extra metal laying around, any kind of metal that you no longer have any use for, give my friends a call over at A&B Scrap Recycling. They will come to your residence or wherever you're at to pick up all of your unwanted metal. They also do full service lawn care as well. So check them out over on Facebook. Just look for A&B Scrap Recycling or give them a call at 810-219-8985. That's 810-219-8985. A&B Scrap Recycling for all of your metal removal and lawn care needs. One more time, that number is 810-219-8985.